Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. All righty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So today we have a really exciting founder. We're going to be talking about the good stuff that we like to hear, you know, the building, scaling, financing, but also we're going to be talking about people, how to go about, you know, getting the right people on board. Also, we're going to be talking about, you know, really, you know, the uh, the some of the pieces of advice that I think that are going to be really uh, helpful as you're looking at building your uh, business. You know, there's going to be some really nice nuggets that our guest is going to be sharing us today and then also how to get the right people for the right research when it comes to investors you know people that are going to be the right folks that are going to understand a company like yours and i think that you're going to be inspired you know with our guest today and with all of these different things that really made a really exciting journey so without further ado let's welcome our guest today scott dunn welcome to the show hey alejandro thank you for having me and uh yeah, I, I hope I hope you haven't delivered too much promise, and uh, I, I do have some wisdom to share, but we'll see. So, originally from Baltimore, Scott, give us a walk through memory lane. How was life growing up? Hey, Mar- Maryland's a great state. It's 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 beautiful. It's got mountains. It's got ocean. It's got bay. Um, it's got some really great small community feel. Um, I'm a Ravens guy. I'm a, I'm an Orioles guy. Again, like I said. Uh, in, in some introductions earlier, that's, that's, that's a, that's a, that's a blessing and a curse depending on the year for the Ravens. It's generally pretty good for the Orioles. It's good about once every 10 years, but um, yeah, Maryland's a great state, but at the same time, when you want to start getting into some manufacturing and uh, supply chain and uh, kind of hard tech, you know, type stuff, you usually end up in some other places. Uh, Texas is obviously probably a prime destination, at least within the U S for that. And so here we are, uh, we're, we're in San Marcos, Texas now. So we're about, uh, give or take, 20 miles south of Austin, Texas, um, right in between Austin and San Antonio, and not very far at all from Houston, from Dallas, and, of course, everything down south, uh, Matamoros, Reynosa, uh, Monterey, and uh, and here we are growing a manufacturing business in Texas. So tell us about how you, uh, how you were, you know, getting that exposure to manufacturing early on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I was fortunate um, with a lot of risk. My 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 family was actually kind of involved in in, in manufacturing. Um, we had a couple of very small family businesses. We did steel, uh, steel fabrication, body armor, ballistics. We tested, you know, polyaramid, ceramic, glass, uh, and then and then you know, firearms, ordnance, things like that. Um, so I grew up in manufacturing. I was kind of forced to work there in the summer times and. Usually those responsibilities got a little bit cooler every year that I became a little bit more mature. Um, but, you know, that exposure for me was a lot of folks get to know early on what they want to do. And I don't know if I had that fully figured out, but I knew it had something to do with manufacturing. I, I wanted to make something. I wanted to see all of the complexity and all of the means of production and people come together and deliver something that, you know, our country actually really does less and less but which is just a massive, massive, massive challenge. And, and you just, maybe, maybe I'm a simple guy, you know, touch, feel, smell. To be able to do that and go home every day after doing that was something I, I, I felt and, and experienced at a young age. And I, I just knew whatever it was going to be, it was manufacturing. And so uh, that was kind of my, 
maybe my, my bug and my origin story, um, you know, as a young guy in Maryland before basically, you know, getting into a manufacturing business in Texas. Now, talk to us about getting into college uh, and how that was for you, because also you were working there and and paying the bills. Uh, but you, you also had some really interesting experiences there in the classroom. So uh, talk to us about that. Yeah. So, you know, I, I first of all, I, I did an extra year of high school. I did what they call a postgraduate year. Um, I think that was the most important year in my life um, for, for me to just kind of get away from home and learn more about what's out there and, and, and who, and who you are. And, um, that was pretty cool. I, I did that at a, at a, in New Jersey for a year. Uh, then I spent some time uh, after that at a, what they call a service academy. So in the U S the different branches of the military have, um, their own like respective service academy. I went to a pretty well known one. It's called the Naval Academy in Annapolis in, in Maryland, actually. Um, that was a really great experience too. I, I learned some things there about time management and how to just be tired all the time and 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 things like that. But um, I think also more importantly, I realized what I didn't want to do, which uh, was probably a career in the military. Um, I was I was I was I was thinking maybe about some other some other things and, and some civilian schools presented other opportunities, plus some other some other medical stuff that kind of was restrictive. So um, I actually finished or graduated a, uh, a college at a civilian school. So I, I graduated from University of Southern California. Um, and it was really at USC where I would say that this story kind of starts to really become a story about rare earth material or, and rare earth magnets. Um, I basically uh, had a lot of impact in, in by, from one professor in a, in a single class that really started to change the way in which I was viewing the world through the lenses of, on the one hand, like resources, resource utility, resource efficiency. And then on, on, the, on the other hand, on the, on the other side of that, that coin, maybe, maybe not a different lens on the other side of that coin is, is sustainability. And, and what does that actually mean in the face of population pressure and demand on resources? And, and, you know, is it an increased supply problem or is it a managed demand problem? And what, what role does technology play in, 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 in all of that equation? So um, it was around that time that I really started to kind of, I'd say, go down the rabbit hole and kind of take the red pill. Um, but I also had a background going back to some of the family stuff as a younger guy and just making money through college uh, where I, I scrapped metal. Um, I scrapped aluminum and copper and brass at the, at, at the body armor company. I scrapped a lot of iron and steel and all kinds of different steel um, at the steel company as a kid growing up. And uh, I, I brought that into a little bit of a professional experience. And, and that's actually where I met a co-founder as well, was, was at a company out, out of college that was focused on certain, uh, they call like recycling, reverse logistics, take back and, and, and metals recovery. And so a lot of those things basically all converged um, on top of a geopolitical event. And that event was in 2010, where the world sort of woke up to a threat, which was that all of the rare earth material that we essentially totally depend on was going to stop being exported from China to Japan in order to become a lot of the magnetic materials and finished products that, that we use in our daily lives. And, um, you know, markets did some very weird things at that time. And as a young guy who doesn't have mouths to feed, you just want to, you know, like, like anybody who kind of gets the bug, you just kind of want to go there and, and be there and, 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 and learn it. And, and, and maybe there's some money to be made, of course. But um, so it was, it was around that time where 
we basically picked up. So this is now 2010, 2012, picked up, moved to China, started just working in factories, knocking on doors, figuring out what kind of side gigs and projects we could have and, and get going to just learn this space. And it was, it was in China where the rest of the co-founding team essentially kind of came together um, and, and, and basically brought those ideas and a lot of that work uh, back to the U.S. to form a rare earth magnet manufacturing business. And uh, that was in about 2015. So I'll, I'll take a breath there because I know we're staying on background because um, obviously a lot's happened since, since 2015. And, and, and I can't even believe I'm saying it out loud, but end of 2023. So I guess the, um, you know, for the people that are listening, you know, to, to really get it, how did all of this, you know, develop into Novion Magnetics and what is Novion Magnetics today? How do you guys make money? I'm glad you asked that question that way. Um, cause that, that is, that is, that is something that I think people forget to just like understand on point blank. Um, so simple answer to the most important part of your question is Novion Magnetics manufactures what are called rare earth permanent magnets. So we make a widget. We make a component that is the result of significant material science, physics, chemistry, engineering, and all the rest of it. But the output is basically a component that is sold to anyone on earth who is, who is, who is uh, building and, and assembling and integrating the highest performance, the most electrically efficient, um, highest energy density, kind of smallest, lightest weight electric motor or generator that can be built uh, today on Earth. And those applications for those motors and generators are pretty, pretty diverse. Um, it's basically, you know, the hard disk drive and something as small as, as that, or even certain things in our mobile devices, all the way up to five megawatt wind turbines and everything in between power tools, compressors, pumps motors powertrain for the ev for the for, for the for the hybrid uh, powertrain but there's actually other pumps and motors even in internal combustion engine vehicles that, that use these materials um and um medical device aerospace defense motion control robotic arms and and and, and industrial processing lines where if you're going to convert electrical energy to mechanical motion or or in reverse you're going to harness mechanical motion to become electrical energy the magnet is playing that role. And so we sell the magnet to all of those different end uses um, that, that basically play all of those roles in our lives. Um, so that is what our business does. That is, how, that is what, it, what it sells. That is how it, how it makes money. The way that we really make money is to not only do that, but to do that in a way that is also very unique. And, and so I'll say a little bit about that as well. Um, historically, most of the rare earth material on earth comes from China and even more so downstream of, let's say, source, uh, the manufacturing of these types of components is even that much more dominated by, by, by China. And, and that's fine. That's just kind of how the world was for, for some time. But as we started to depend on these materials more and more, the dependency on China became a kind of worse and worse uh, risk or specter of instability and uh, uh, uncertainty. And so what we do that's unique is we not only uh, kind of in, in, in an attempt to disrupt this supply chain, we not only focused on a recycling capability, um, we, we, we actually kind of accidentally invented a novel material that is higher performing. It is what allows us to use recycled material. And so what's really unique about our business is 
outside of China, there are very few magnet producers, A, like less than five. And there are none in the world, including China, who make a finished product from directly from recycled inputs. So there was this kind of performance and sustainability breakthrough, if you will, that was the basis of commercialization of what our manufacturing process was, and then what that final product is that we deliver to a customer base in the face of these other geopolitical and supply chain uncertainties. And so um, that's obviously, you know, a a pretty cool story. Um, and, And there's a lot more to say about what you have to do to pull that off and still be successful. Um, But that's really what our business does. That's how it makes money. It's also what's particularly unique about our business versus, you know, other magnet manufacturers outside of China, which in which there are few, or or even globally, where we we even throw all of China into that basket. And as you guys were thinking about the team too, of putting the team around this to ramp things up, how did you think about the team, especially like really making sure that you had the diverse backgrounds, the different perspectives. So how did you go about doing that? Yeah, there, there were, there, there's kind of two ways I look at it with the benefit of hindsight. Um, the first is that we, we, were, we were going to grow a manufacturing business from scratch. And this is a manufacturing business or this is the type of manufacturing that requires many, many, many disciplines, um, you know, material science, physics, chemistry, computer science, mechanical, electrical, automation, engineering, you know, data and, and language modeling and all the way down to really a lost art, which is highly, highly skilled machinists and then on down to technicians, operators and handlers. And so the first thing was we were going to have to build a very, very diverse team, which probably was was also going to be best built by individuals who had diverse backgrounds and kind of were multidisciplinarians themselves. And so um, that's what we did. I mean, we, 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 we went and brought in a lot of different folks from a lot of different areas. And literally, we're kind of like a small UN from, from also a lot of different countries into a single manufacturing business to, to, to try to, to bring all this together and, and, and commercialize the, the technology and, and build ourselves for scale. And then secondly, you know, you really do want some adults in the room, so to speak. And I, I, I don't necessarily mean that in a way that takes anything away from myself and others maybe as founders, but having the right dose across the right amount of, of individuals who have also just like come from like mature, you know, very high volume, very high mix manufacturing, living on razor thin margin and understanding what operational excellence is and having come from those environments, no, knowing, knowing what that is helps us understand like how we're going to get there as a business as well. And so we have, we definitely brought in the right folks there um, on all levels, tech, technical, operational, financial. So um, I would probably say that um, my, if I was to kind of put a little bit of a button on that, the most important thing is people. And I mean that internally. Uh, you're not going to get anywhere without the right people. But uh, you also got to get the right mix of folks that's going to fit what it is that your business does and how it's going to allow you to build a business for where it needs to go and how it's going to get there. And the way that you do that is, you know, all of the pioneer spirit that you get from the startup folks that are typically from very diverse backgrounds and, and, and varied backgrounds. But you also got to you got you got to introduce the right dose of of, of chaperone, if, if, if that's the right word, 
Um, and if, if, if you can build the right chemistry and the right culture with that personality mix, um, which by the way is not easy to do and it's still not over with here, nine times out of 10, you are on the right path going forward. And, and more importantly uh, for the audience, investors are not stupid. And there's a, I know that they don't just say this to say this, they pick up on that very, very quickly. And it usually is probably the reason they end up investing in a business at an earlier stage. And so uh, I'd probably emphasize that for the audience. Hey, guys, so pardon the interruption here. So I got to tell you that, you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard. And already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back then when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of either knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance, you know, that would carry me through the process, whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition. So that gap that I found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when I met my co-founder at Pantera, Mike Sieversen, to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid cap type of um, a cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com. And we would love to take a look at helping you out. And talking about investors, how much capital have you guys raised today? Oh, I should be armed with this right off the top of my head. Um, so we have raised, let's see, in equity, we have raised about uh, about 150 million. Uh, I think it's a little over 150 million. We do have some other, uh, you know, like equipment financing and real estate financing uh, on some of the facility build out. Um, so it's 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 probably pretty close to maybe 175 million in total invested capital plus. Um, we are technically through a Series B, but I I, I say that um, I, this Series X means different things over, at, at different times depending on where you are in, in the market cycle. Um, we're probably like a Series C plus company in terms of uh, the amount of capital we've raised. And probably where we are from an operational standpoint, but we we did have some uh, government involvement in our business early on that you know was was, was meaningful, um, and so we're, we're we're technically a Series B funded business uh, with 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 institutional capital, and um, yeah, that's 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 the answer. And then when it came down to really making sure that you had the right investors, you know, for the right reasons, and that they really understood the business, you know, how did you go about doing that? That's oh, a great question which is uh, back to people, really. In this case, it's just external. Um, I would advise anyone as much as they can. When you, when, you, when you find at an earlier stage in your business in particular, when you find the types of investors that are themselves 
the deep study, what I'll call it. Um, they're, not, they're not bringing in consultants on the second phone call. And I'm probably going to tell you what bill you have to pay at close for that. And you actually see, you know, the pages out and the pencils down in the, that team that will represent your business to an investment committee is really digging into the details that are how your business is going to be successful or what are those key risks that they can understand and quantify about your business. Honestly, you know, obviously I say this within reason, the term sheet does not matter. And that investor being a part of your business and a part of your board does. Um, and I would say that that has made all the difference for us. We, we did not take a VC term sheet ever. Um, we took carefully uh, growth private equity capital most recently. And um, that, that has made all the difference, I really believe, for a manufacturing business, with, which, which is its own type of risk and very difficult to understand. And um, I think that has, I think that so far I, I, I look around the table, I look around the table that was set before that table and um, I feel either lucky or, okay, may, maybe we were, maybe we were really wise for, despite our youth. I, who knows which blend of that it is, but we, we have the right folks and continue to have the right folks around the table who understand our business, under, understand how to really talk through uh, key risks that have been identified and how to mitigate those risks. And then otherwise, what other key areas or metrics of our business will lead to success that, that, that we can remain focused on or can address together. And I honestly don't even remember most of the high, uh, high level, you know, headline term sheet takeaways at all. I just remember where we're headed and kind of who, who was there and helping us get there along the way. And that I know it sounds cliche to say that, but it, I mean, it really is so much more important than T's and C's. It really is. And as you're thinking about people, you know, we were talking about internal, external, you know, the approach, the perspective. When it comes really to people, you know, imagine you were, I mean, obviously vision is a really big one, no? to get them enrolling to the future into what's possible and get everyone excited, you know, uh, and aligned. So as we're thinking about vision, imagine you were to go to sleep tonight. Scott, and you wake up in a world where the vision for the company is fully realized. What does that world look like? Like is the story for many other kind of critical materials, let's call them. Whether they're related to batteries, whether they're related to semiconductor, or, or, or in this case, energy conversion and, and the rare earth magnet. We, we are headed for a little bit of a pinch and a little bit of a squeeze. I mean, we're, we're, seeing, we're seeing basic squeeze on energy, whether it's thermal coal or, or, or oil and gas. I mean, generally from a resource perspective, we are on some timeline headed for some kind of a pinch or a squeeze on resources. And it's the result of, yes, population pressure and, and draw on those resources as much as it is probably geopolitical and technology. And so for our business, where we're headed is we intend to make as significant an impact as possible to reduce risk across the supply chain for rare earth materials, especially when demand starts to sort of peak, let's call it, or, or, or start to get a little bit out of control, which is about 2028 and 2030. Our goal by about then is to have done very few things very, very well for very few customers in order that we have an extremely mature process and business and operation 
that is kind of the launching point for significant other output and market share, let's call it. Because by 28 to 2030, the amount of production that must exist in this country alone versus today is about 10 to 15 times what exists currently. You can't invest and build in it quickly enough. And that is generally the rule of thumb for all of the rest of the world outside of China. And we, we feel like we are and, and will continue to put ourselves in a position in the next couple of years to be in a position by 2028, certainly by 2026, to start investing in readiness and capacity and capability and deliverability in 2028 to impact the global supply chain for these materials in order to complete that, that energy transition story and, and de-risk critical materials, at least in this kind of node uh, of the supply chain. So that, that's it for our business long-term. So to kind of take a couple of steps back, what we need to do in the near term, which is kind of what's underway here, what we've raised capital for, um, is basically uh, capacity, you know, uh, let's call it overall sort of a, a, this facility here is kind of our phase one before we look at other markets, you know, Europe, Asia, things like that. Um, capability, so consistency, repeatability, yield and ultimately deliverability. So how well are we delivering, you know, millions and millions and millions of parts per month across a customer base to build the trust, build the credibility, and, um, you know, obviously become a, a very, very meaningful going concern as a business. If we do that right, we will earn the right to allocate significantly more capital towards what those ambitions and what that plan is for, you know, 2028 and beyond. And so, um, and, the, and so lastly, in order to do that, Again, it just comes back down to the team and the people. We're growing at an alarming rate. I never thought I would be this kind of CEO, let's call it, where you don't know the names of everyone who works inside of your company. But that day actually kind of came about two months ago. And then you kind of catch up, but then there's a new wave of hiring. So then you're behind again. Um, we, we, we really are doing everything we can to build and train a workforce, which in our space is not off the shelf. Um, how you produce these materials, how you then produce those parts and deliver those components to a customer takes a lot of trades and skills and disciplines. And then the right technical management, financial operational leadership to, again, just really kind of keep us on the rails and, 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 and executing the way we need to in the next, call it 18 months plus. That will allow us to uh, or, or, or have us earn the right to continue to, again, allocate capital and, and execute over the longer term. And uh, that, that's what we're doing here. So now imagine I was to put you into a time machine and I bring you back in time and I give you the opportunity of giving that younger Scott one piece of advice for launching the business. What would that be and why, given what you know now? Like I said, I got, I got lucky on some big ones or whatever we want to call it, you know, with, 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 with people and investors and things like that. And Man, I never thought I'd be so cliche with some of the things that come to mind, but I'm, I'm going to rattle off a couple. Uh, the, I think the first key piece of advice is sort of a double-edged sword or two sides of a coin or whatever. Everything takes longer than you think it will. However, I, and you know, sometimes to the chagrin of maybe a board, I don't necessarily like to say numbers I'm going to beat. I really don't. And I probably need to learn how to do that or we'll have to do it anyways later when we go public. But I really like to figure out how, even if you miss, five and 10 years can turn into, you know, three and five years. And 
if you think in those terms, it eliminates a lot of noise. It also makes, it also sort of simplifies work stream, organization, and culture in order that you're doing what you, what, what is essential, what is the essence of the business and as quickly as you can to get to that next stage. And so um, I'm going to say that, you know, look, it's going to take longer than you think, but do not let that be an excuse for sort of prolonging your expectations and your timeline. Um, those are, that's, that's, that's key. And it's, a, and it's an art and it's a dance. It's not a science. And, 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 but it, but t- take away what you can from that. Um, and then probably the other thing I'd say about that is when you think something's not working inside of your company and it is earlier stage, it is therefore more nimble and it ought to be disrupting itself more frequently than maybe the larger businesses do or even your competitors do. I would say that, and this, this happened, has happened only a few times and it may only happen a few more times, but every time I have never regretted making a change too soon, including personnel, including organizational structure, including uh, just maybe vision and direction and, and, and strategy. But I have always regretted making that change too late. Um, and I, again, it, it, these sound like basic concepts, but um, if, 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 you, if you fear a little bit of the unknown quantity versus the known quantity, I would like to just tell you that the, the, the quantifiable pain and risk that we have let linger by actually not making certain changes sooner um, is something I've, is the only thing I've really ever regretted versus if we wonder if we made certain changes, uh, at the time that we did, you know, basically very early on. And, um, I think, I think those are probably two of the most important pieces of advice I'd like to give myself when I was, you know, in my late twenties versus my late thirties. Um, and, and hopefully that equates to wisdom. <laughs> I love it. So Scott, for the people that are listening, that would love to reach out and say, hi, what is the best way for them to do so? Oh, um, so I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm actually terrible at that part of it. I believe that there is an email address and then of course, things like Twitter, LinkedIn, and, 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 and so forth, um, for Novion Magnetics, um, we have a team of folks that are constantly like, you know, scrubbing that, reviewing that. Um, and a lot of things make, make their way to me or other stakeholders within the organization for whether it's hiring you know, media opportunities, um, interview requests or anything, anything like that. And, um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully those are pretty accessible and available on the website or again, some of those other channels. And, and, and there really are people that are constantly funneling what information is necessary to all of the right stakeholders here. And, uh, and, and again, we're, we're small, we're nimble still, you know, not quite a hundred heads probably will do about double that in the next year plus. Um, but we, we, we still are very much involved in all of those types of, of exercises. So we're, we're, we're easy to reach. Amazing. Well, hey, Scott, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. It has been an honor to have you with us. Alejandro, thank you so much. And uh, I, I really hope, uh, you know, there were some kernels of wisdom and uh, that kind of a thing. And more importantly, maybe we've inspired some folks to take a crack at this business or that business or challenge here or or, or, or promoting greater sustainability there or or, or whatever it is. And uh, I'm a cosmic patriot. If I'm going to steal a term from a gentleman named GK Chesterton, I'm, 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 I'm a very optimistic person. And I really think that all problems can be solved through technology and, 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 and teamwork. And, and um, 
um, we can we can basically redefine scarcity that way. And uh, maybe some folks took that away from this or uh, can reach out to us and find out more. And I just wanted to thank you again, too, uh, very much for, for reaching out to us and, and for your interest. Thank you. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.